So if you were here with us last week, you will remember uh, Matt Karsh talked about the parable of the sower. Uh, from Matthew chapter 13, we are continuing in Matthew chapter 13 today, continuing where he left off in verse 24. This is what it says. It says, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servant came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you were pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let them grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for coming to us and for opening our eyes. Thank you for um, exposing to the world what your kingdom was like and then inviting us into that kingdom without question, without qualification, purely by your grace. And Jesus, thank you for revealing things to us that were hidden since the creation of the world. Would you help us to grasp those things as we study your words this morning? Would you continue the process of opening our hearts and opening our eyes to who you are and what you're up to in the world? In Jesus' name, amen. As Jesus continues his ministry, he sets out to teach the crowds about the kingdom of God. And so what he does is he leaves the house where he was teaching the disciples. He gets onto a boat and goes out onto the water in the Sea of Galilee. And, and this was um, useful for several reasons because the water um, acts as kind of an amplification system and the hills where the crowds were around the Sea of Galilee were some kind of curved hillsides. And so between um, being at a distance on the water with curved hillsides, he was actually able to teach thousands and thousands of people uh, without the aid of any sort of amplification or a microphone. But as he sets out to teach them, he does something curious. He teaches them in parables. In fact, when it came to the crowd, it says, quote, he did not say anything to them without using a parable. 
And at one point, the disciples come to him and ask, why do you speak to the people in parables? And he replied, because the the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. For those seeing, they do not see, and though hearing, they do not hear or understand. And what Jesus exposes in in this cryptic response is that the parables he's speaking have multiple functions. First, uh, one of the functions of the parables is to illustrate, through metaphor, aspects of the kingdom that would be difficult to grasp, even in straightforward and clear language. And so, uh, these truths are given in illustrations that, will, um, clear, that, are, that are culturally relevant to the people that he's speaking to, uh, and, and that will be easy to remember and to pass on. So that even the simplest, um, least educated people could hear the parable, grasp something profound about what Jesus was talking about, and easily pass on um, that same lesson to others. And and so uh, we see that through these concise um, words that Jesus is actually able to engage the crowds in a really simple and profound way. But that's not their only function. In addition to being powerful tools of communication, Jesus' parables actually have the the effect of dividing his audience. Up to this point, Jesus has been teaching about the kingdom of God, and we'll circle back to it later, but there are actually multiple chapters in between the Sermon on the Mount, which we just uh, finished a series on, and um, before the start of his parables teaching, uh, which we're studying now. And, and these in-between chapters are action-packed chapters in which Jesus is demonstrating the power of God in the inbreaking kingdom that is coming in and through him. Jesus summarizes his own activity in this way. He says, The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. So so that's chapters like 8 through 12 leading up to this moment. And so the crowds begin to catch on. They see all of this happening. They understand that something powerful is happening in and through this man. So now Jesus is turning the corner and he's forcing the crowds to respond. And so he speaks in such a way that those with the right heart posture, those with a a receptive heart posture, are actually drawn in deeper. And yet, at the very same moment, um, those with the wrong heart posture, those who, who have already kind of postured themselves as rejecting Jesus and their kingdom, those people will only be further repelled by, by what Jesus is saying. And in fact, as we'll see in a moment, some of them will be offended by what Jesus 
is saying. And so, so the parables do this beautifully. They, they divide the crowd and draw some further in, and those who have rejected are, are then put off further. For example, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. And instantly, confusion ripples through the crowd. You see, his Jewish audience had all sorts of expectations about what the kingdom of God was going to be like. Jesus was not speaking into a vacuum when he spoke to them. In fact, the Bible of Jesus' day, what we call the Old Testament, uh, points powerfully toward a future eternal reality where God will rule and reign with his people. This is a snapshot of some of the things the Old Testament has to say about the kingdom of God. First of all, it is a universal, eternal, timeless kingdom. A kingdom that is ruled by God in in some passage of Scripture, and and yet we also get this imagery of it being ruled uh, by by a man, or someone having the, the appearance of a man. And and as the story progresses, we see that these are not um, two rulers of the kingdom, but actually one. That that it's this God-man who's going to rule this kingdom. And finally, and most clearly, we see that this is a place where God would dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever. And and so much of the Old Testament involved God building or promising to build this type of kingdom on earth. Uh, And and prophetic imagery involving the kingdom only began to increase as as you get closer and closer to the end of the Old Testament. And then all of a sudden the Old Testament ends and it goes dark. And and what follows is hundreds of years of prophetic silence where they hear nothing from God. But during those centuries, uh, the the people, uh, they cling to the promises of God. They they knew uh, what God had spoken to them. And so they actively anticipated a day when the king of Israel from the line of David would not just be the king of Israel, but the king over the nations, if not the universe. And that this ruler would rule on a throne forever, bringing all things, the Old Testament says, all things in heaven and and on earth would be brought under his feet or, or, or under his rule and reign. And the harder their Roman oppressors came down on their heads, the more they cried out for Messiah to come. Because they knew that he would overthrow their oppressors and that he would vindicate them with instant uh, and holistic judgment over their oppressors. That, that all uh, who, who embraced evil would be uprooted and removed, and a new and eternal age would be ushered in. The the, the righteous dead would would be raised to life again in resurrection, and there would be an eternal age with God. That, That was their concept of the kingdom of heaven based on the passages that they had. And, and so the kingdom of heaven, in their minds, was, it was a meteorite that was headed toward the earth. 
And it was just a matter of time before this collision happened. It, it was an atomic bomb that, that was waiting to go off. And once it did, the entire world was going to change overnight. Every single man, woman, and child in existence would know that the kingdom of God had come. That, that was their hope. And then Jesus comes on the scene. And he says, hey everybody, listen up. Change your hearts and change your lives because the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, it's at your fingertips. It is coming upon you. It is about to arrive. Prepare yourselves. Which in Israelite theology means, translated through their concept of the kingdom, what they're hearing is, run for the bomb shelter because I'm about to light this place up. I, I mean, everyone is on the edge of their seats as they're listening to Jesus. And, and then he says, oh yeah, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. What, what did he just say? Did, did he just say it's like a... a that, that's either going to draw you in in curiosity and whet your appetite, or it is going to be completely offensive to you. This is shocking news about the nature of the kingdom of God. I mean, the Israelites are crying out daily, God, move in power. Let your armies march through this place. Throw off our oppressor. Usher in a new age of peace and prosperity. God, restore your people. Let your kingdom come. Rid evil from this place forever. And then Jesus triumphantly marches up with a match. And they think, here it comes. He's going to light off the big one. And then he lights a candle. There it is the kingdom of heaven. What, what did he say? It's like a mustard seed? Well, yeah, Jesus says. It's actually the, the smallest of all seeds. You can, you can hardly see it, actually. And, and then what you do is you, you, you plant it in the ground and then, and then you can't see it at, at all. And, and, and then it begins to grow, but, but you can't actually see it grow I mean, it's growing slowly. Like, take, take heart. It's going to grow, but you can't see. What? Okay, that's not the kingdom I'm familiar with. Are you sure you're the Messiah? Are you sure that we're talking about the same thing? We're looking for a mushroom cloud. Not a mushroom. Okay, Jesus says. Think of it this way. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast. (laughs) Okay, seriously, Jesus? Yeast does not even have positive connotations in in Israelite culture. Where where are you headed with this? It's like yeast. Yeah, yeah, it's like yeast that's worked into the dough. 
oh, oh, okay, Jesus, help, help, me, help me track with you here. How does that bring judgment and destruction on the dough? Like, what are we talking about here? That, that is not the kingdom of God. I'm confused. Well, Jesus says, uh, the dough, um, more than judgment, it actually needs rescuing. It, that's its deepest need. And so the kingdom of God and the people of God are like little bits of yeast that gets mixed into the whole batch and it permeates everything and it flavors everything. But once it's mixed in, you, you can't really see it anymore. It's hidden. It's latent. It's not loud and upfront and obvious. It's not a physical, set apart kingdom that you can point to, but it affects everything else. In fact, once heat is applied, the whole thing is going to come to light. It's all going to raise, it's all going to be transformed. It's going to be amazing. But you can't see the yeast. You can't, you can't see the, the seed grow. And yet in and through Jesus, the seed was planted and the yeast is being mixed in. And he says that, that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. And, and just imagine, if you can, the confusion of the crowds. Once, upon being asked by the Pharisees or the Bible teachers of Jesus' day, when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Are you kidding me? You can't even see it? You can't even see God's kingdom coming? This flies in the face of everything that they believe. Nor will people say, here it is or there it is. Because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Or, or, or some translations say, among you. Or other translations say, within you. And with a few simple parables, Jesus is challenging and reshaping their entire worldview. The kingdom of God is going to come in full. The, the, the Jews got that right. One day it will. But now, Jesus seems to be crushing their dreams and, and throwing his listeners into a state of confusion because it turns out that the fullness of the kingdom was not going to come with the arrival of the Messiah, as the Jews anticipated, but rather with his return. Nobody anticipated the arrival of the Messiah, the life and ministry of the Messiah, the Messiah being killed on a cross. Like, what is that? That's, where are you getting that from? The resurrection of the Messiah as one man in the middle of this age, the, the ascension of the Messiah, and the promise that he will return one day to usher in. Nobody, nobody saw that coming. N nobody thought it would unfold in this way. But as the story unfolds, what we see is Jesus ushering in the kingdom of God in two stages. First off, 
uh, as Jesus uh, gets into his ministry, it becomes clear that the fullness of the kingdom of God is not yet. God still has something he wants to do and accomplish before the end of the age. And, and, and so there's, there's a very real sense in which Israel was waiting for the fullness of the kingdom, and now we as followers of Jesus are still waiting for the fullness of the kingdom. That much is clear. But that doesn't fully describe the kingdom. Because some of the kingdom is here and now. Through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus inaugurated the kingdom of God right in the middle of this age, right here and now. And now that kingdom is beginning to take hold in the world around you and even in the world within you. And, and, and so now, Jesus is renewing human hearts from the inside out through the receiving of the gospel. And as that happens, God grain, gains ground, He gains people, He gains influence on the earth. And, and through that influence, His kingdom is being built person by person, day by day, decision by decision, through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but, but Jesus' listeners, they were not expecting two stages. And, and so Jesus needs to open up their hearts and open up their minds uh, to what it is uh, that God is doing in their midst and what it is that he's inviting them into. He's saying, hey, I'm inviting you to, to experience and participate in the kingdom of God right here and right now in advance of the end of the age. And the end will come. Jesus is clear on that. The fullness of the kingdom will come. And it will be well worth the wait. But in the meantime, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It, it, the kingdom of God is like yeast being mixed into dough. And, and the faithful are, are going to be touched by it, and they're going to experience it, and they're going to see it, and they're going to taste it, and they're going to be agents through which God's kingdom continues to advance. They're going to be alerted to, to the work of God in and through them, and, and in the air above their heads, and in the ground beneath their feet. Not so for the skeptical. The cynics will look upon the world and be completely blind to what God is doing. They won't be able to see the kingdom of God among them. No one can say the kingdom is right there or, or it's right over there across the street. You, you, you cannot Google map your way to the kingdom. Siri cannot navigate there. And, and as a result they will conclude that God is non-existent and that those who believe in Him believe in vain. Why? Because they have eyes but cannot see 
They have ears, but cannot hear. But for the faithful, oh, for the faithful, everything is different. The faithful will see God at work all uh, around them. They, they, They will feel the beating heart of the kingdom of God within them. And they will live for that kingdom. They'll understand that the kingdom of God is now and not yet. That in its present form, it appears almost non-existent to the cynical. Uh, And yet it's spreading. The kingdom of God is advancing on the earth. And and in its present form, it's beautiful and it's subtle and it's subversive and it's profound and it's compelling and and, and it's life-giving. It's yeast being mixed into dough that is dead and flat. It's salt being sprinkled onto something bland. It's a seed being planted in a lifeless place. It is the light in the darkness. Not blinding or overwhelming, but bright enough that those with eyes for it can perceive it and and, and see it and sense it. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, uh, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servant came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied, and the servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you were pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, First collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Clearly, there's going to be judgment. There's no way around that in the way that Jesus speaks. Evil will be eliminated from creation, and the fullness of the kingdom of God will be ushered in. But not yet. That's in the age to come. In this age, God is planting seeds. And just like a mustard seed, They take root and they grow. But they aren't growing in the Garden of Eden. They're growing in a war zone. This is not the kingdom as the Israelites envisioned it. In fact, after the crowds left, the disciples took Jesus aside and asked him, what did you mean by that parable? about the weeds in the field. What, what was that all about? Help us wrap our minds around this. And Jesus answers them, answered them. If you have your Bible, we're picking up in verse 37. He says this, He answered, The one who sowed the good seeds is the Son of Man. That's, that's Jesus. The field is the world. And the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. That's you and me. The weeds are the people of the evil one. 
And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, that's an an agricultural practice in ancient Israel, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will... They will throw them into the burning furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then, after the ground is cleared and the fullness of the kingdom is ushered in, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. In its current state, the kingdom of heaven on earth is yeast mixed into the dough. It's the redeemed mixed in with those who reject God and hate Him and even embrace evil. And the kingdom is advancing slowly like, like the growth of a tree in the midst of opposition and resistance and darkness. God is alive and well and at work, but so is our enemy. That's the nature of the current state of the kingdom. And as followers of Jesus, we have to live in full recognition and awareness of the kingdom stage in which we live. And I don't know where you find yourself in the parable this morning. My guess is that we have people all over the spectrum of experience. Some of us may feel that we don't have eyes to see. That that we don't see or sense God at at, at work. That that maybe we've never been attuned or, or, or alerted or woken up to the reality of the kingdom among us. Perhaps, perhaps you have yet to, to give your life to, to Jesus and, and have him begin that process of opening your eyes. And, and the best thing you can do this morning is to commit your life or, or even recommit your life into Jesus' hands and just say, God, I, I believe you. O- open my eyes. Open my eyes to who you are and, and what you're doing. Others of us um, have eyes to see God at work and we're living for the inbreaking kingdom, uh, but our field of vision, our, our present awareness is being dominated by the weeds. That, that, that we are more directly experiencing evil and darkness and, and, and the work of the enemy uh, more tangibly than you sense the kingdom of God. And and, and the most natural cry of your heart is, God, how long? How long, Lord, until you come to restore the earth? How long till you come to tear out the weeds and, and the evil and usher in the fullness of your kingdom? How long? And perhaps Jesus wants to remind you this morning that 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 reality is coming. Saying, don't don't be discouraged. Don't don't give up. Don't quit. Don't lose heart. 
It will be here before you know it. Our present suffering, Paul says, is not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. But don't think for a second that that's here yet. This is not the fullness of the kingdom. We get glimpse, we get taste, we get bits and pieces of the real thing. Human hearts are being transformed from the inside out and God's kingdom is advancing on earth. And yet no sooner are our hearts transformed by the gospel, but we start yearning for the fullness of God's kingdom to come. Paul continues, We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Creation, he says, is yearning for that day. We, as followers of Jesus, are starving for that day of liberation from bondage and decay. And and, and in fact, the Scriptures say heaven itself is longing for this day. The picture we get in Revelation of people who, who have been put to death for their faith in Jesus is this group of them in what we would describe as heaven, crying out together. And and this is what they say. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? And, And I love God's response to this. Then each of them was given a white robe. This is where we get that imagery from. And, and they were told to wait a little longer. <laughs> Here you go. Wear this. Keep, keep waiting. Right? It, but don't you see what's happening? It, the, they're waiting. Just like the Israelites were waiting. Just like we are waiting for the fullness to come. That, that's the state that we live in. Do, do you know what the last lines of Scripture are? We, we don't read Revelation very often, and when we do, we usually don't make it to the end because there's some weird stuff in there. Uh, but if you do make it to the end, the very last lines of Scripture, this is what they say. It says, He who testifies to these things that you've just read, that's Jesus, he says, Yes, I am coming soon. And, and then we get John's response as, as he's disengaging. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, bring the fullness of your kingdom. We're starving for it. Creation is starving for it. But in the meantime, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with God's people. Amen. Jesus says, I'm, I'm coming back soon. The weeds will be torn up. Evil will be done away with. The ground will be cleared. The sons and daughters of God and all that's left of creation will be restored and liberated and set free. And the pains of childbirth will, will give way to a new and glorious creation where the children of God imparted with God's righteousness 
will shine like the sun in the presence of their Father forever and ever. That's where this is headed. That little mustard seed will one day grow to dominate the landscape of reality and everything else will be wiped away. In the meantime, we partner with God to, to see His kingdom come here and now. We recognize that we have the presence of God among us and even within us. And that as a result, we are salt in the world that flavors. We are yeast mixed into dying dough. We are living cells in an eternal tree that is growing, almost imperceptibly, but growing right into eternity. Every single day, people are being added into that kingdom. And so we feel the tension of the time that we live in, and we move forward with God in the face of opposition, in the face of resistance, in the face of the darkness that we see around us and even occasionally within us. We join in prayer with Jesus. We say, God, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come right here, right now. Your will be done in this place, on earth, in our hearts, in our lives, in our families, in our workplaces, in Spokane, as it is in heaven. Let's pray.